Hello, and welcome to Educational Triage, where we discuss issues in alternative education. This is a discussion about teaching by teachers, for teachers, and others who are interested in the alternative education world. We hope you find today's episode relevant, engaging, and useful. And if you do, please subscribe. I'm Tony Hunt, and I'm here to help guide you with the help of my friends, Christy and Philip. And welcome back to another rousing edition of Educational Triage. I am here with my two favorite guides, Christy Goodell. Hello. And Philip Summers. Aloha. And this week we are taking on standardized testing. Why do we need to do standardized testing and does it really tell us much of anything? So let's take a look at some of the statistics. Um, did you know that they are now testing pre-K kids? Oh. Pre-K students with standardized testing because it's now a, a multi-billion dollar business. And, yeah. Yeah. And um, they... And be, by the time that a student reaches 12th grade, they have already taken over 112 tests. Wow. 112, 112 tests? 112 standardized tests. What's the breakdown on that? K through 12. I mean... That I didn't... I, I didn't... Um, that I'm not really sure on. Okay. Well, I can't good. really tell you what the exact figures are. These are figures that were thrown. Um, mm. It's in the book, The Assessment Industrial Complex. So that's and nine it, tests a year. 112 tests, if you break yeah. that down. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You know. I've seen that. Yeah, think about it. Yeah. So, and and Ugh. and Ugh. the one of the premises of this book, um, the, the Assessment Industrial Complex, is that teachers no longer really teach because everything is about teaching to the test because you want to see those scores go up because how are we funded? And it's basically on growth and those scores going up. My question is what got us into that predicament where we lost sight of what we teach and we fall into a corporate lockstep where everything has to be guided by some sort of algorithm. Mm -hmm. So um, do we really, let's, let's look at it first. Do we really need to have these tests because teachers are teaching to the test? And is this something that we actually do need? Because the students in alternative ed don't necessarily test well in that. And we've talked about the lower reading scores. We've talked about declining math scores. Um, but we also might be suffering from grade inflation because we are starting to see more and more valedictorians yeah. with, with 4.0s. Um, this week in our school, we had uh, academic week and we recognized people with 4.0s and there were 258 students out of fewer than 2,000 students. Wow. Four, wow. 
Wait, wait, wait. So, so 4.0 in one school? 4.0 in one high school, 258. Out of a graduating class of 500? No. No, this is 9 through 12. Oh, okay. I was like, what? Oh. <laughs> that is crazy. Okay. Wow. But still, that is more than one quarter of the school has a 4.0. Yeah. So let's not tackle great inflation per se, but let's mm -hmm. take a look at, are these assessments really, are, what's going on? Are we doing great inflation or are the tests wrong? Are the tests not meeting the needs of the students in order for them to demonstrate what it is that they actually do know? And what they actually do understand. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the 200 plus people who have a four point. That's amazing. Do you think that is that is because if you were in high school when COVID first started and so many courses were just kind of doing like pass, like you got credit for but then the pass wouldn't figure into your GPA. Right. No. So is there just there's just less grades being figured into your GPA? I wonder. I don't know. Be interesting well, to compare that to previous years, like pre COVID years, if that's like on pace or if it's um I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent. I'm just that's just kind of a shot. Well, really let me put it to you. This well, here's the interesting thing. I was thinking because I was behind the academic week and I was trying to catch the numbers and I was thinking we because of COVID we would bring the number down to 3.5 so we could get more kids but that mm -hmm. was over but that brought us up to almost over 700 kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah and yeah. I thought okay I don't really have the budget for that <laughs> right oh my gosh so let's see what we can do with um, 3.75, and that brought it down a little bit, but then I went to 4.0, and there we had the 257. So it's, it's absolutely amazing. But then on the other end, you have the kids who are around a 1.0 mm -hmm. on the other end of the spectrum, and there are probably just as many of those between a 0.01% between a Point zero one GPA, all the way up through maybe a one point five. Say so we have a we have this huge gap that's there. So, but with standardized testing, are the students who have the lower end are they really? Is is there an equity issue here with for them? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. so okay. Because it seems to me that we perpetuate some sort of hierarchy where the kids with the more with more money and more opportunity and more privilege are able to fare better with those tests and mm -hmm. then they're they go into the yeah. university industrial complex per se. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. And they just continue with this whole kind of thing. A student who can study for a long period of time can do well on these tests, where a student who doesn't test well may not be able to, but the one who doesn't test well may actually be, have more uh, acumen in those areas than the student who tested very well. Well, that's traditionally how the game's played anyway. I mean, 
when you look at the university system, that's that's the the upper middle class. It started with the the wealthy and the upper upper classes, you know, and and a way to kind of park the youth as such, you know, the university systems and the and the prep schools and such. And then it, it became sort of more steadfast through the public school system and the preparation of workers. And then in the twentieth century, the university systems began to train professionals with the expansion of knowledge and the expansion of the professions, of course. And now it's, it's a system. I don't know. I, I kind of have the feeling it might is, it might being, it might become surpassed by just the expansion of knowledge itself and the internet. It, it because it's, I think it's serving sort of a co track. It, it, it's, it's another way to succeed when it used to be the best way to succeed. I, I see that a lot in the high schools. It's saying, well, what are you going to do for college? What are you, how are you going to go to college? When are you going to go to college? But I don't see college as the way to go anymore. And it's always spoken at well, high school. Well, that pipeline actually starts at the elementary yeah. level. Well, absolutely. Actually, you're right. right. It does, doesn't it? They're always pumping them full of like you're going to college, you're going to college. But I'm seeing a world where that's I'll pay not for your college if you do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so and so we brainwash. Yeah, that and it's that the system that they're supposed to go into, but that's usually a system that's well suited for the the upper classes. And so traditionally mm-hmm. speaking, it's not equitable. Never was. You had to learn to play the game, and that's not necessarily the game anyway. Um, I don't think. And a lot of, right. And a lot of students will say, well, I have to go to college because that's the only way, that's my only way out of poverty. It, it used to be, perhaps it was the easiest way, perhaps, but it wasn't the most accessible or equitable way, equitable way. No. Um, and, and then for we the test broadcast, that. like this is the best way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for a teacher, it was, or for a doctor, you know, there was a way if you could scratch and claw, you know, into the professions, it was a bona fide way in the middle of the 20th century. But, you know, we've learned that the college education is almost more expensive. You know, you can't hardly repay it in your lifetime now. It's kind of been reworked. Well, it's a really strange thing. You know, I don't, it's well, hard to explain. And then they teach, for, they, they, they test for that. And that's where we're kind of running into maybe where it's exposed. Well, college that used to be an affordable secondary kind of education, and they're mm-hmm. saying, well, it should be free for students. Well, I believe that there needs to be some kind of a buy-in for it to be free, for it to be respected. Um, but that's just my thought. But college is unaffordable now. And mm-hmm. so you have the government through some banks that of its choosing – is making these loans to students and without any real financial preparation for them to take out these loans or a real understanding of what's going on. But the universities themselves are charging for both kidneys, your heart, your lungs, <laughs> and possibly the left cheek of your buttocks in order for you <laughs> to go. So they can pay as many administrators as possible so we see in the in the mainstream school system we see all the, we see this hoarding kind of culture of administrators 
They're not hiring teachers. They're hiring more administrators. Mm -hmm. And the colleges are doing very much the same kind of thing. And so when you have all of these people who make a huge salary that's much higher than any of the any of your teaching staff, actually, and you have materials that are kind of in need because there are different universities who've where the teaching staff has said, hold on, when are we going to get our money? And so we can teach because that's what we're supposed to be doing. Um, hmm. And universities have become big business because they're trying right. to woo all these students. So have we gotten away from what education actually is? And are we doing, I explain to me where we're going, I think, because I think maybe if we can figure out why we're doing what we're doing because of where we're going, maybe we get down to more of a root cause and a better place to be able to discuss a little bit more. The educational industrial complex too. Yeah. I mean, if everyone wants to be the boss, <laughs> it seems like <laughs> uh, who, who's going to do the, the, the teaching where, you know, yeah, the honor is. That's well, what yeah, I'd rather that's do, my but... Yeah. Right. There's a large school district um, near where I am, and they said that they were $18 million short, so they were going to have to cut teachers. They weren't going to be able to hire any more teachers or something like that. And then they discovered that they had over $100 million, and they were still going to cut the teachers, and they were going to hire more administrators. So, and, And the teachers' union was furious and there's there's kind of a fight going on right now but they're not going to win so the, the teachers won't win right so Ugh. because admin wants more administrators well ironically yeah. enough there was the same thing going on in the medical community um up up on uh, one of the um major hospitals they were talking about the cost of of nursing and how it's just overwhelming them they were paying doctors <clears throat> to be nurses and they were paying them doctors wages to be nurses. And they were saying that they had a shortage of nurses. Su- I know they yeah. were letting go nurses and yet they were also having doctors stand in for nurses and paying them doctors wages and crying that they had a big shortage of nurses. And it's like, this well, is isn't their extreme. field and the, the teacher field is suffering the same thing yeah. where they're just losing right. staff they're just burnt out they're tired they're just they're overworked just, and feeling they're just tired they're just right. crisp. and they're, they're leaving just, in um, higher numbers stressed. than ever before mm-hmm. i've another had teacher, many people come up are, to me this year yeah. to tell me how stressed they were they just can't do it yeah they just they can't do it yeah well and the last number yeah. i heard was before i think in the last three years it was five hundred and sixty-seven thousand teachers have left yeah. And that number, and that was through maybe last year. So yeah. I don't know how many are leaving this yeah. year. Mm-hmm. I know that where I work, there's a number of teachers who are leaving. Mm-hmm. So the focus and many is on of the them cost. haven't even announced it yet. Yeah. So yeah. There it is. Um, they're waiting to the last minute to announce. And not yeah. just, um, and not just retiring. I mean, right. That's, right they, yeah. they are choosing to leave. Right. Yeah. Because rather they just, than like, it's time to retire. Right. And because administration administration is simply, I was in a meeting um, where the admin said, well, here's another thing that we're going to have to do. And one person said, what are you taking off our plate? 
and they glossed right over it and refused to even <laughs> acknowledge that. So people are fed up and, you know, but mm-hmm. I, I believe tired. that was very tired. And I think mm-hmm. that something that they probably want to, should do is probably just say, affirm, no, no, you give us something. They start negotiating. And I think teachers have to do that because I don't think the union's going to do that. I think that in these meetings, everybody just says no. But you yeah. always have you always have the people that are too afraid to say that they're going to cave in. But let's get back to our topic. <laughs> well, I had to go around about a little bit. Well, it, oh, it, it, it does say something about the disconnect. I think that a lot of teachers, they have their ear to the ground and if you're a good teacher, as we've spoken of, you've developed the relationships and you do know that the testing is both excessive and in many cases irrelevant to the experience that the kids are going through. And yet they keep on going through it because it's administrated. And that's mm-hmm. also workload. And that's also a kind of a, a demoralizing stress for both you and the student. And it grinds you down. And so right. this testing goes on and on and on. And there is a, there's an irrelevance to it. And the irrelevance well, is it doesn't actually apply to the student's learning. It only applies to the assessment of something we're not quite sure is tangible. We're not sure how it applies. It used to kind of apply, but now it just applies to the fact that it's being tested. There's some, there's some innocuous thing that's being tested now, but it's become its own thing. And when it's done seven times a year, that's how you know it's become its own thing. Right. Well, we, had, we had students who, well, we just find out, you know, that these tests are going to be coming mm-hmm. on X day. And they just sort of raise their ugly head and it's <laughs> right. kind of like, okay. But for teachers of those students, they have no idea. And so they... You know, what do you do? Because the kids are absolutely drained from taking these tests Mm -hmm. because they're stuck in these rooms and they come out and then they're expected to continue with their day. Right. Um, What does it assess their ability to not get frustrated? Who knows? And I have a group of students who said, okay, I'll go in and take them. And they're back 45 minutes later. It's like, wait, what did you do? Just went through and I just marked the bubbles. Yeah. I just, I just right. did it. So you're not getting an accurate count right. on that because the students don't take it seriously anymore simply because they feel they've been over-tested. They don't see the relevance in it. And then what's going to happen is the district is going to say, you need to explain to your students what the relevance is and how important this is. And then and, and it does absolutely nothing. Right. And, and there's no importance to it. That's the, that's the dilemma. I do you, perhaps you'd explain to me the importance because as far as I'm concerned in my career, I was the first one to raise my hand and say, this is a bad thing. We will begin to teach to the test. Real learning will cease to exist. And sadly I am correct. After all these years, like 20 years later, I was correct. Actually it's 15 years later. I'm correct. Sadly. Right. But well, here's my question then. <laughs> It, let's say that we did away with all these tests. Yay! Let's, 
Yes. Let's say <laughs> <laughs> let's say that we shove away the ACT, the SAT, the Smarter Balance. Yes, all these different tests. I could do it in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. How? Okay, there needs to be some form of assessment, though. Yeah, Teaching. because we need to make sure that the kids are learning. Right, we need to measure their education and right. what they know. Right, is it? Do you think that perhaps because they do make so much money off of these tests as they are and everything has gone onto the computer lately that um, maybe they need to be paper pencil tests? There's no way where they're going to have to. I mean, they make enough money. They can hire people to score these tests. Correct. So my my way of thinking is have have maybe a buffet of methods for the student to have in order Mm -hmm. for them to figure out what the best format would be for them to demonstrate how they are, how well they can do on these different areas. So for example, for writing, um, have them write, but not type. Some kids might be better just using a pencil and paper. And allow them to do that. Uh, for reading, you're throwing things at them and they're already tired. And it's really hard on the eyes as well for them to be reading the text on the computer. And then you're asking them all these other questions. Do you think that, here's a thought, just entered my mind. Do you think that when we went from paper tests to computer tests, do you think that there is some sort of a correlation as to when test scores started going down? Could be a little bit, but couldn't tell you. I mean, when you were saying like, let's go back to paper, then I was just thinking of all the kids who struggle with, you know, with their handwriting and, you know, dysgraphia. And if they, um, you know, they they could type. They yes. would still be able to do that on the computer then if that's what they needed to do. Yeah, I, I like the idea, and that goes back to some of the things we had talked yeah. about in earlier episodes about, you know, universal um, UDLs, right? Offering different ways right. for students to exactly. demonstrate their learning. Because yeah. that's what standardized tests do. They only are really, de- I mean, a big argument is that they only are determining the students that are good at taking tests and right. can... And that are not influenced by or, outside factors. Like they're right. not hungry. They aren't stressed. They react mm-hmm. well to timed exams. So if you have all those oh, components yeah. and those work for you, that then you tend to perform better. And then there's a whole other statement of that they are, like we talked about at the beginning, that they're, there's bias in them. Well, from, so a constru- from a constructivist point of view, um, you know, some some kids, some people just don't grasp concepts till after the test is long gone in their life. It's just a way that you're growing and learning and evolving. So it's a snapshot in time for everybody, but not everybody's at that moment in time. So you're making an assessment that is not realistic for everybody. It's just not right. You're talking about learning maturity. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just as you're going along, constructivism, you know, you're just, you're building upon building and not everyone's at the same level at the same time. So you take that well, snapshot no, at the age of 16. World. Exactly. It's sort of, it's a false picture 
And we're trying to go, what's the best way to assess this? None. <laughs> There's really no good way to assess 16 years old for a human being. Uh, so I think of the relationships, I, you said, what can we do without these tests? And I thought, just what we used to do. I mean, I knew what student I had and, and where I wanted them when I released them out of graduation. And I always felt good when I did it. I knew where they were mm-hmm. at. And, and the test never entered my mind. You know, to me, it was like I felt confident they were they were able to read and express themselves and that they were mathematically competent and, you know, go forward and now let the world kick your butt, kid. <laughs> but I feel good right. to know you can do your thing. Yeah. Right. Well, I think math is a much more concrete and tangible kind of um, conceptual yeah. matter that they can do that. Yeah. Um, I think that you still need to be able to have a method for them to be able to demonstrate how they work something out. Exactly. Um, on the, that might be an assessment worth paper. it, like problem solving assessments or problem solving skill mm-hmm. assessments, something like that. That might be a worthy way right. to do it. Yeah. But even if I am, if I'm taking a test and I can't talk and I kind of, if I, if I'm confronted with a problem, I like to, there's a different way for me to problem solve. Like sound it out or like kind of. Yeah, exactly. I kind of go through, sometimes I need to pace it out. And so, but none of these tests allow for any of that. Mm -mm. Unless you get, you know, predetermined accommodations and then you can, you can, you know but then you need documentation, but yeah, for most yeah. people just to be able to, cause that we do that with our kids all the time. Hey, read this essay out loud. And then they start reading in their own words. Right. And also they're like, that doesn't sound right. I'm like, that's right. You know, we, <laughs> right. that's a strategy that we have our kids do. Um, so to take that strategy away is, is hard. Oh yeah. Um, there is another thing that, that I think Philip said at the beginning and, um, I was just kind of doing some reading about this right before and it's talking about how the test is based on you have to have a familiarity with um what was the quote you have to have the questions rely on background knowledge that's more often held by white middle class students so it's mm-hmm. not just that the designers have unconscious racial bias but the testing industry depends on these kinds of questions in order to create a wide range of scores And so they gave some examples, like one question asked about you had to describe the qualities of someone who would deserve a, quote, key to the city. And a lot of the students don't know what that meant. You know, what is a a key to the city? Whereas wealthy kids would be more familiar with the keys to the city. Um, And so they, you know, and then those are also the population of students that have the resources to do test prep and they can get tutoring and they can afford to take the test multiple times. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Mm -hmm. these, so the quote was, these tests are a better measure of a student's family background and their economic status than it is actually on their ability to judge what they're, what they know. Exactly. That was from Eloy Oakley's commentary on standardized tests rewards kids for wealthy families from just saying just doing my research again oh, yeah it was appealing to the, the the wealthier and the the upper middle class those that were actually going to the university yeah. right and those are and then kind of also what you were saying tony earlier about like when we have to explain to kids why do they want to take these tests well for a lot of them they're like i'm not going to college why am i vested in this so therefore i am just going to make 
I'm going to make a pattern with my bubble letters. Or I just, if it's on the yeah. computer, right? We've had kids who are like, I just press C every time. I'm like, great. <laughs> I just press right? C every time. They did. I'm like, how did you finish this test in 10 minutes? C, 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 C. You know, strangely I had a enough, student. the same yeah. story happened in the 60s. You know, when the, when the United States was just ripping the world up and everything. But they weren't doing well in tests. And there was just a conundrum. And they so they researched it and they found out that American kids were doing the same things. They didn't take the test seriously and they were just pushing buttons yep. randomly. They were is. filling in bubbles or whatever it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had I had a middle school student whose father was a university professor. The kid was very, very bright, but his test scores were they were they were let's say subpar. And the reason was, was because that's exactly what the kid would do because he couldn't take those tests seriously. (laughs) And they begged him and begged him to take them seriously. And he just didn't want to. So you've also got those variable factors because after a while, students do not want to take those tests. Nope. They feel as though they're being judged. They feel that it's just silliness. And in many ways, it really is. What about... Um, maybe a better gauge of growth because aren't we supposed to be gauging growth through these tests? Yeah, if I mean, we're, we're trying so to have... Many of, yeah, because yeah. Yeah, we're doing them year over year. And so aren't they going to be looking at how well they did in the past and then build up sort of like a platform? So it would seem to me that there might be something that might more easily take care of that that might be more equitable i know it's i mean it's so hard because we need a way an objective way to determine if 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 students are learning where are there maybe some areas of improvement right and so there's got to be a way to gauge that but on the flip side having a one style fits all where it seems to just fit our this certain socioeconomic mm-hmm. tends to favor the wealthy, tends to favor the the white. Um, you know, English is their first language, um, so that doesn't seem to be the best way right now. And you're right; it's a right. humongous business, and and they're throwing second language students into these tests and then right. recording them as though they were part of the regular language population. Right. It's just and, crazy to think that one test on one date is therefore a barometer for how they are doing for their entire, you know, 10th grade year or their 11th grade year. Right. And they were also talking in this book about how draconian they are about every student needs to be tested and you need to have proof that your child is not going to be able to do it. And they went after these parents and the parents said, no, our kid can't do it. My kid is in a coma. And... <laughs> Uh, won't won't actually be able to do this and the state came after them no that's that's no lie that's no lie yeah you know it's it's absolutely amazing at what what they're doing and what can we do in order to reverse course on this Mm. and change it so that we can have something that the students have a buy-in to that actually is meaningful for them because this is supposedly for the students. 
um, mm. if it's for the corporate heads of the districts and for the states, mm. um, then d quit using the kids as your pawns. Well, yeah, it was it was tied to funding, as you recall, with no child left behind, and so they right. were shutting schools down, which were making yeah. which which were overburdening other schools, and then setting up political battles, which were setting other schools down because they were losing mm -hmm. services and then the money was getting moved. And then, the, and as we know, the administrations were taking up the funds. It, it was, it was just like mm -hmm. the, the snake was eating. There was a lot of corruption. Yeah. And so it's so like you, you would... said, it was supposed to say, help the kids by making the schools better. But what it did was it, it, it penalized schools in general, but and it never rewarded Right. That was the whole behind all this is just the stick. It's always just the stick. It's it's like you started out by saying it's like, well, we have to cut teachers. What? We found more money. We still have to cut teachers, but we're going to get more administrators. And that'll help the kids. And that helps the kids. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. I don't know no. how you find a quote, quote, discover how much a hundred million dollars. Like, how does that happen? That's, That's in the couch cushions. Um, I just lifted this rock and here's a pile of money. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> oh, I, I thought that was Monopoly money. <laughs> I know, like, that's just bizarre. <laughs> I thought that was well, it's, it's, money. It's real money. Well, it's a game. I mean, state governments <laughs> have played that in the past when they try to pass tax bills and then they say, oh, look, we found all this extra money. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to cost so we don't need to cut all these different pieces. <laughs> um, it's, you would think here's, here's the interesting thing in Oregon, we have equitable so-called equitable funding where every, we, we give the schools the same funding. So every school is funded the same way with the same formula, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. yep, However, yep. However, and then if you look at it, it's equitably funded. I mean, this white school over here in this wealthy part of town gets the same funding as the black school over here in this other part of town. However, eventually you will find that they are almost 15% underfunded in the black community, in the poorer schools, than they are in the white community. And yeah. part of... and. Uh, yeah, because they don't have the infrastructure. They allow those schools to crumble. Hmm. Um, they're, and you, we need to look at maybe what we need to look at in those areas is doing more work on emotional poverty and, and some of the poverty logistics and, and work on working with people. But what we did in South America was it students who are graduating had to go to different parts of the community and they had to teach reading. They had to go in there and oh, they had yeah. to work on the literacy rate. They had to work on math and they had to put in X number of hours um, of actual work. They couldn't get out of it. And all the wealthy kids all had to do it. Every high school senior had to do yeah. this work. And it was a program that they called Alphabetacion. And it was really, really a well thought out program. There was there was some moaning and complaining about it, but the right. kids did it, and mm -hmm. it I I believe it was quite successful, and the literacy rate went up. Nice. So Imagine that. It, yeah. So why can't we have 
the students who seem to be doing so much better work with the students who go into the inner city and work with some of those students and actually do some work where they need to be able to show signs of improvement, do some extra work. Um, and no, you can't get out of it because mommy and daddy want to pay somebody off. But by the same token, we still have this problem with standardization and mm-hmm. this, the, I mean, it's like a steamroller. So how do we, how do we, how do we stop it? How do you stop the wheel? From, yeah. Stop the wheel from turning <laughs> so that it, instead of having this one, you know, a steamroller has that one great big wheel that kind of yep. goes and it just crushes everything in sight. <laughs> yeah. What if we had different kinds of bicycle wheels on there and each one was different? You know, maybe one of them has wheels that have like the little fluttery wisps of whatever. And one has like the cards. I want mine with a baseball card. Black in as it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and one is just regular, but it's got yeah. spinner kind of yeah. things like you might see on. Sounds like a Doctor Seuss. I'm picturing like a Doctor Seuss. Bike. Well, you know, yeah. but but every one of those would would talk about the. It would it would help with diversification of of testing and and working with students that might actually be able to, let's say, intellectually prosper. Mm-hmm. Um, by taking a test that reflected them. Well, let's right, redefine yeah. the whole target of what is the goal of high school. What's the, the purpose of it? Well, let's maybe it's okay. Time to look so at let's that. look well, at the purpose what's of the testing, right? The purpose yeah, of the no. testing. The purpose of the testing but, is to assess what we're what we're testing is what high school what the education is is getting what what we're going for right what the goal is but we're starting so what is the goal it's it's yeah. not just high school so what's the purpose of education right what's the purpose of the education system what is it we want from our students at the end of 12 years of this sucker have we, we are we still we, is children? it still the same thing should we reassess that i mean just saying i <laughs> I think maybe some yeah. we, we need to get a, a coalition of people together who want to look at what is the actual purpose of our educational system. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Are we testing for because, something that's long gone? I don't know. Oddly enough, even in even where I work, we have people who say that's all about compliance. We need to teach compliance. And if the and if our students are not compliant then they are not good people. Well, then good because luck. They, and, yeah, that's not. Well, it's, it's like very, a robot, unfortunately. Well, exactly. But these are people in alternative education. Oh, boy. And, the, people you in know, society. they don't. <laughs> they say this very quietly, but they're working towards that. And they don't say it to the right people. They say it out over a period of time and then. It, you know how things kind of start leaking do they and not all of a think sudden that, you start realizing these students are people do they think that some <laughs> children don't have human rights that compliance is an um, oppressive way to treat a human because if you try to get compliance for me the first thing you're going to get is rebellion right right and so they're trying to push down rebellion from kids i mean and they they fail to rebellion. realize 
I'm sorry. But they fail to realize that this is how we were when we were that age. Yeah, it's it's funny we, how you become an adult and you forget how you were. Why did they become teachers? I'm sorry, I'm getting personal with this. That's that's they should have become <laughs> adults and stayed adults. Why did they become somebody who relates with children and young adults for a profession when they can't remember what it was like? Well, um, oddly enough, I think a lot of teachers forget what it's like to be exactly they they want to be professional and so they have the stiff upper lip they have the stiff back and they just kind of go through it mm. and they believe that in order for them to learn with their for their students to learn that they need to kind of crack into it and get there um there are also teachers who believe that they build and they build a community. So there can be laughter, there can be fun, there can be play. And yeah. we are able to get things done with the students. And there are many people who frown upon that because yeah, they don't see that compliance. as actually teaching. Yeah. But we were also children and we are also students. Yeah. And many of us were very rebellious. And anybody who wasn't as rebellious as maybe they should have been I don't know. I don't know. I think rebellion is a healthy thing. Well, I think insisting upon compliance is not a way to approach anybody. You know, you cooperate with people. There's, there are boundaries, and if someone gets to a point where they cross it, that's something. And you go, hey, we got a problem. But you go, hey, and you will be compliant is just saying I've got authority and there's a wall. That's authoritarian, not authoritative. Right. Yeah. Right. You need to be a third. But I think sometimes sometimes you have to look at the rebellion. And yeah. sometimes it's really creative. Oh, and it's... sometimes it's just awesome. And oh, you kind is. of I mean, yeah. I look let me let me okay, don't be offended by this, but I'm gonna take my dogs. Sometimes my oh, dogs yeah. sometimes my dogs become really rebellious and they do something because they want to get my attention. And I had a dog. And what he used to do was he would sit there and he would be lying down and then his eyes would start going back and forth. And I could tell that something was going on with him. And then he would quietly get up and he would walk out of the room. And the next thing I would hear, I would hear dishes and pots and pans clatter all over the kitchen floor. <laughs> he would open up the cupboards and he would start grabbing them and just throwing them down because he knew that that would make me run in. So, and then I would go running in and then he would sit there and he'd have this big smile on his face and he would dart and go outside because I couldn't catch him. <laughs> so, I mean. That's a smart, <clears throat> smart little pup pup. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what ended up happening was I had to laugh because I couldn't be angry because yeah. no sense in it. It was futile to be angry. You just have to laugh at it and you know, and look for the positives in that whole thing. Oh, yeah. The positives of how intelligent he was, the positives that he really wanted my attention. And so that's what he got. But I wanted it to be positive attention. And so, you know, it it's it started to decrease, <laughs> except for when I got ultra busy, and then it would increase again. So mm -hmm. um I had a student you know, do but, that just yesterday. He was he was really smart. He, the, he just did something. I go, oh, this kid's really smart. I got to watch his. 
he insulted yeah. he goes, so what's your what's your first name and i go mister he goes well mister you should get out of the profession <laughs> he was oh. a fourth grader <laughs> what you're good oh boy That's wow funny. I'm actually, and sometimes exactly. that cleverness doesn't come across on a standardized test, right? See how I'm swinging the bat? No, exactly. no go, because oh, it's all black and white. Smart. It's all just yeah. numbers. Yeah. yeah. And I think students don't want to be seen as a number. No. I could tell that right And away. that's this why we teach alternative ed. Anymore, yeah. Exactly. But that's why we're in alternative ed, because they're no longer just a cog in the wheel. They're actually, they're hmm. actually something that is made up of cogs and wheels and whatever and that and that they are an entity unto themselves and we respect them and we treat them like that you know when you have to fill in your number and then the the bubbles that indicate your number it's kind of an insult to have to know your number and then fill in the bubbles to fill in that number too like every year it's kind of yeah no one wants to be a number so no no so (laughs) let me ask you then what do we have solutions? We need to look at it, don't we? I mean, like, what is it we're assessing? And maybe we should reassess that. Maybe <laughs> we need to redefine. Assess the assessment. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Maybe we need to go back to having competencies. Yeah. And figuring was, out ways to yeah. do that and do proficiency and testing. Or, you know, start looking at how how we actually score things. And I think that's what's coming up with equitable grading. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I like that. Grading idea. equity. I was hoping to have a group from the State Department come in and talk about um, grading with equity. And they are unable to because apparently it's um, they had to go through several different channels. And it became just incredibly bureaucratic for them oh. to be able to come on and just talk about what the policy is, et cetera. So yeah. um, that got a big kibosh um, and isn't going to happen. So we will be talking about grading equity eventually. Um, and I was hoping that they would take care of that kind of component for us. But if we changed what how we test, but also what we're testing... And by what we're testing, I don't mean that we're not testing reading, writing, and arithmetic. Right. But but that we are mm-hmm. testing thinking, thinking processes in communication. Problem skills. And looking and, problem and solving looking skills. at those. Yeah, yeah because because if it, okay, so Christy, you're gonna go to work for Intel. And I don't I don't think that they really care about whether or not you can find the imagery in uh William Faulkner's <laughs> story. Um, <laughs> That's right. true. I'm, That's true. It it might come up and um <laughs> and but I think that they would be more interested in problem solving. I think most mm. businesses would be more interested in problem solving. Exactly. Right. Um whether it's business, even in teaching problem solving how do you take care of those things yeah i think that if you can you know maybe testing can be fun to see how long it takes somebody to figure out some puzzles and just put some things together um because i think that having brain elasticity and being able to bend your brain and manipulate things that's better right and than, than having to do many of these other 
concepts. And I think it makes it for a more uh, readily available group of people for the workforce, but it also makes people far more interesting. I agree. I like it. And, but then how do we do that? Do we that's put a, that on a piece of paper? And then that's we another, to... well, that's a, well, we're just going to end it right there. You, you, you figured it all out. I'll done now. No, 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 no. How do we assess that? I only wish. <laughs> but if they can, because you could, because if you're going to put puns in, if you're going to do things, um, kind of like escape room has clues that are probably mm-hmm. kind of cryptic. By a certain age, maybe there's something that's in the clue that has something to do with some kind of reading that the students should have had so far that maybe it could refer to some kind of text that by that point in time they should have had in the reading canon um, or I don't know, but you know, there, there are different ways of knowing because background knowledge and all the subtext is what we really need to look at. So I don't know. The time has come to perhaps assess whether or not we want our business managers to be well-versed in Faulkner and, and and Hemingway and Thoreau, (laughs) whether that's really, really important. I don't know. It's truly actually a good question. Is is it um, that important that we explore literature as in depth as we had as we have in the past hundred and fifty years, or do we kind of release oh, some of that and definitely. move into different things? I don't know. I I well, just actually I did, yes. Do we? Move well, forward? I think I don't know. I believe that literature literature kind of takes us away, and it I, kind of calms yeah. the mind. Oh, and it, it allows you no to doubt. envision. It allows you to do yeah. all sorts of things. And I think you need that. In in fact, it's almost like an SEL exercise. Oh, I mean, I can Social argue for it myself. Learning. I teach it like crazy. But is it time we looked at it and went, maybe we don't study it as much as we used to? I don't know. I'd like to, maybe everything's on the table in these days. I, yeah. I, well, dude, I don't except, know. Well, yeah. I don't see anything wrong with it because. Well, I don't either. I believe that we we have a culture where we're very visual and people True. are constantly playing games. Maybe in the literature, we don't maybe game stories. And game playing, yeah. game playing should be tested. Don't you yeah. think? Game because playing. they have to do tons of problem solving. Right. And game games, theory right? is a big thing. You know, game, game yes. theory is becoming a big sociological sort of economic theory. So game mm-hmm. playing and, and problem solving through games should become curriculum. You're right. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. they need to be, maybe the kids need to be tested on economics. Maybe they should be yes. tested on, on personal finance. Well, yeah. definitely because there's a lot of myths out there that are just outrageous that are believed like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. So, what I'm thinking is that we need to make the test relevant, first mm. of all. Secondly, take it away from the grade schools. I mean, for crying out loud, when do these kids get to be kids and make decisions on their own based on what they want to do rather than parents wanting them tested mm. in order to be thrown into a school and having their entire life regimented because, well, this is what mom and dad want you to do. 
and who knows? Um, I've had parents who didn't know what they wanted to have their kids do, and they wanted their kids to be happy, and the kids couldn't figure out what they wanted to do. Right, I think. it takes a while. So, but yeah. I think that parents play a, in it an, an integral role in helping the child develop and start to figure out what they need, but not all parents can do that. Some some people just look at the money and that's all they want to do. Mm-hmm. Some people actually have some interest a lot, but think of how many times people change careers in their lives. I mean, I went I've gone through 3 or 4. So mm-hmm. Um, do we all really know what we want to be when we grow up? Well, it'll change. When do we grow up? Yeah. Ah, There you go. Well, I figured that I'm done growing when I'm dead, but. There it is. Um, we have, okay. I think we're just kind of going in circles at this point, but these are, I, I love, I love this discussion. This is wonderful. Thank you. Um, thank you. So. How about you, the listener, you give us a review and you subscribe and you give us an idea of what you think we should do about standardized testing. And aside from trashing it, um, give us give us your thoughts. Let us know where you're thinking and do hit that subscribe button and... I guess we will see you again next week with another episode. So until then, good night, Philip. Aloha. (laughs) Goodbye, Christy. Goodbye. Okay. And for me, adios. Ciao.